Well, I got a great message for you on this Mother's Day. I call it a mom's journey, and you're going to love it. In 1928, a 16-year-old South Dakota farm girl named Minka Disbrow, a Dutch girl, got pregnant under horrific circumstances. She was very naive and didn't know what had happened during the rape. Her parents sent her to a Lutheran home for unwed teenage moms, and they explained to her what had happened. Well, she gave birth on May 22, 1929, to a little girl who she saw only one time. Then she had to give her up for adoption. Every year on May 22, Minka would wish that little girl a happy birthday. All she had was one black and white photograph of that little baby in a crib. Then every once in a while, on May 22nd, she would pray, Lord, if I could just see that child one more time. Well, the baby was adopted, given the name Ruth Lee. She grew up to have a really great life. She had six children of her own, and one of them, named Mark Lee, became an astronaut going into space four times. When she was 80, Ruth Lee had to have heart surgery. Well, she decided she ought to try to learn about the medical history of her biological parents, whoever they were. And what she thought would be a search through obituaries and medical records ended up becoming a telephone call. Because to her amazement, not only did she find out who her biological mom was, she found out after 77 years, her biological mother was still alive. She met her mom for the first time when the mom was 100 years old and this daughter, Ruth Lee, was 77. Minka said she was shaking like a leaf. They were recently together celebrating Minka's 100th birthday and her mom said, it's like we were never apart. Ruth Lee said, it's like we've known each other all our lives. Well, there's nothing like the miracle of the love of a mom. And I'm so grateful for my wife, Cindy, being the mom of our children and now a supernatural grandmother. Being a mom is an honorable thing. And, you know, we as a church want to reach out and say thank you and honor all moms today. You know, the journey of a mother is remarkable and it really never ends. But even the story of Minka, as remarkable as it is, is not the greatest mother story of all time. The greatest mother story of all time would involve the mother of Jesus. Mary is also on a journey, and we're going to trace her journey. She starts out with an amazing title, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But she's on her way to another more exalted and yet more painful title. So I want to trace Mary's journey through the Bible and walk us through one scene after another where Mary puts in an appearance. She's actually mentioned in over 200 verses in the Bible. Mary is a major player, although a lot of people don't actually realize or recognize that about her. Now, whether you're a mom or not, her journey can be your own journey in life. Boy, that's true. You're going to love this. This can kind of challenge your life. Her, her little life can be your title. That's where I'm going to go today. So first thing we notice is the birth of Jesus, right? One of the surprises 
in the first part of Mary's story is an angel visits her, tells her the child that she's going to bear is going to be Messiah. She's going to give birth to this child even though she's not married and hasn't ever been intimate with a man. And Mary says yes. Mary consents to God's plan. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me as you have said. Those are not incidental words. And by the way, when God ever speaks to you and makes an offer, don't even hesitate. You say yes. You know, the world has often been a hard place for unwed teen moms, and it was for Minka, but even more so in Mary's day and in that culture. To be engaged to a man and then pregnant with a baby who does not belong to that man meant public trial for adultery and then stoning to death. Well, Mary is told she's going to have a baby, and it's not Joseph's. And, of course, we know how the story ends. But Mary did not know that. Mary did not know how Joseph was going to respond. Scripture says Joseph was a righteous man. So Mary probably had to figure he would put her through a public trial and then death due to her pregnancy that wasn't his. But Mary says yes. She trusts God. What an amazing, gutsy young girl. She, she allowed her life to be interrupted by God. Joseph and Mary welcomed this baby into their lives and family. But Jesus didn't make Mary's life easy. And if that's what somebody was looking for with Jesus, hey, it's not this journey. You know, Herod wants that baby dead so badly. Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt as fugitives until Herod dies. Well, that's the first scene with Mary. Second scene is now at the temple. Jesus is now 12 years old. The family has been to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Scripture says after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company in the caravan, they traveled on for a couple of days. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends they were caravanning with. And when they didn't find him, they, they were in a panic. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, that's got to be a parent's absolute nightmare. Imagine the conversation between Joseph and Mary. I mean, get real. Listen to Mary. Joseph, I gave you one job. Just watch Jesus. Now, what am I going to tell Gabriel? Oops. I lost the Messiah. Sorry about that, Gabe. After three days, yeah, think about that. Mary doesn't know where he is or if they'll find him. She's a real mom, so imagine the anxiety and panic. I mean, she probably puts out an amber alert. They find him in the temple court sitting among the teachers. His parents have a brief conversation. Now, when you're raising the Son of God, who tries to discipline him? That's a hard job. Well, Mary loses the coin flip. So it says, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Have you ever noticed how all parents feel like their children's behavior is directed at them? How could you do this to me? Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, to put it mildly. So here's her boy. But Jesus doesn't know he's lost. He says to her, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Well, 
Jesus is going to have a long, long ministry of questions. Yep, it's his favorite method of teaching. Who do you say that I am? Do you want to be made well? I love this. Peter, do you love me? Questions. But this would be his first question. These were the first recorded words to his mother. Did you not know, Mom, I had to be in my father's house? In other words, Mom, there is another family. I love your family, Mom, but there's another one. There's another house. There's another calling. There is another will I have to obey. And it conflicts with yours. Sorry, Mom, I must follow it. You know, I know it involves pain, but I must follow it. Now his relationship, even with his mom who loves him, would have to be subordinate to his relationship with his father God. This is going to bring pain to his mom. He's her son. He loves her. He goes home with her. He's obedient with her. But in the temple, there's that little bit of disappointment. There is this strange distance between this boy Jesus and his mom. And while we're talking about the temple where Jesus was, remember, he's part of a community of people, family, and friends from Nazareth. The temple was a place where young people could come and know and love God. You know, I want to say a huge thank you to all the people at Summit, part of our church, who build every week into the spiritual lives of our children and young people. There is nothing in the world more valuable to us than our children. Our children are our future. And to all of our leaders and volunteers at Summit who help to serve children, who help children know they are loved by God, that God has an eternal purpose for them, we are immensely grateful and thankful. We owe you so much. And that was part of Jesus' world when he was growing up. Third scene, now we're at a wedding. Jesus has become his ministry, started it off as a rabbi. And there's a wedding eight miles from Nazareth in a town called Cana, real close to home. You know, during the wedding, they run out of wine. Now, this was a major deal in Jesus' day. In that world and culture, weddings were a mega event. In ancient Israel, every wedding was a Kardashian wedding, and it would go on for at least a week, sometimes multiple weeks. It was also an honor culture. The groom was under the honor code to provide food and wine for all the guests. To fail was more than an inconvenience. It violated the honor code, and it would bring shame and humiliation to his family. It would put his marriage eligibility at risk. I mean, no girl in her right mind in that culture is going to hook up with a guy who couldn't even take care of his guest at his own wedding. And by the way, let me say to you girls watching, if you are single, don't hook up with somebody who can't provide for you. You know, God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. You don't want to end up having to support the family. Okay, I just threw that in. Happy Mother's Day. So John says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. Now, we aren't clear why Mary feels responsible for this problem. Maybe they were her relatives. It doesn't say. But clearly, she expects Jesus to do something about this shortage. She says, Son, they have no wine. And Jesus responds, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Again, this is pretty jarring to somebody reading it in the first century. It was an honor culture. 
And we in America, we're kind of a freedom culture. We talk a lot about our rights and freedom. But in an honor culture, people talk about duty and responsibility. To fail to do a duty was to bring shame on yourself and your family. The number one duty was to honor your father and mother. Whatever else that meant, it meant always display respect in public. So no son, no son would ever say to his mom at any age, why do you involve me? You know, when she's asked him to do something. But Jesus said it. He says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. In other words, Mary, I have an hour. I have a destiny. I have a calling. And it's from God the Father. My Father only. And I know his timing and his will. Well, Mary would have to learn to honor God by honoring her son and by defending her son. She's going to have to let her son become her Lord. And at the wedding, she does this. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's his will, not mine. So Jesus goes on to turn the water into wine. I know the church has been trying to turn wine back into water for 2,000 years, but it was oinos, it was wine. And the wedding proceeds. Don't send me any emails, all right? I'll eat you alive. So the crisis is averted. And again, Jesus doesn't do what she thinks he's going to do. So she's a little disappointed. There's a little distance between Jesus and Mary. Well, Jesus' ministry goes on, but there's some indications. It's not kind of the ministry Mary was expecting. Jesus surprises and confuses Mary. Some of what he did, she expected. He drew huge crowds. He performed miracles. He inspired devotion. Well, Mary expected that, you know, from the time he was little and heard the things spoken about him by the angel Gabriel. But some of what Jesus did would have made no sense to Mary in that culture at all. At least her understanding was that Messiah was supposed to get rid of sinners in Israel. Well, Jesus makes friends with them. Messiah was supposed to conquer Roman soldiers, but he commends their faith. He does favors for them. He heals people in their homes. It's unthinkable. Messiah was supposed to uphold the law and inspire religious leaders, but he seems to keep violating the law and antagonizing religious leaders. It's pretty clear if Jesus keeps going down this path, He's not just going to be in trouble with Rome. He's in big trouble with Israel. And Mary, she didn't expect that. Scene number four. This is in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And Jesus is in a home with a crowd of people, and he's teaching. When his family heard about this, this odd message and ministry of Jesus, they went to take charge of him. They're going to do an intervention. They said, he's out of his mind. Let's go and take him. Now imagine trying that on Jesus. So it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He said to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. He said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoa, 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 whoa. Put yourself in Mary's place. 
She's a real person and a real mom. How do you think that made her feel? You know, Mother's Day is the biggest day of the year for Hallmark cards. They don't make cards at Hallmark to say, Dear Mom, who is my mother? <laughs> if I did that and my mom was around, I guarantee you she'd say, Ricky G, I'm your mother. I'm the one who gave birth to you and fed you and rocked you and clothed you and nursed you and took care of you so you didn't end up dead in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> you got that, Ricky? Yes, ma'am. See, in his ministry, Jesus is putting a strange distance between himself and his mom. She's standing outside, and this is an honor culture. Your mom is here, Jesus. Who is my mother? He says, here is my mother, looking at the disciples. He was announcing something wonderful, strange, subversive, and disruptive, and utterly new was being formed. That God, who began the human race once, because God loves to love, and because he wanted a family, but it got disrupted by Adam's sin, God is beginning a new family once again in Jesus. You know, this family is very strange. It's radically inclusive, and anybody can be a part of it. And it starts to happen. And they start calling each other brother and sister. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. There's never been a community on earth where anybody could become a member and be treated like family. No. Whether you're low class or upper class, it didn't matter. Gentile or Jew, it didn't matter. This was God's plan for the church. That's his plan for us. For people around us, people, you know, walking around on the streets or anybody, whatever their background, to feel like they can just come here and be like a son or a daughter like a brother or a sister, for this is to be, Summit, a family for everybody. That was God's plan for the church. I remember sitting next to a woman from Jamaica. Uh, she had dreadlocks on, lovely lady. She had an earned PhD and was a teacher. And she visited a very large white church in our city. And they, she was greeted in the lobby by a woman greeter who said, you're not our kind. And I wanted to just pass out. I couldn't believe that today somebody in church would say such a thing. I remember I looked around and says, well, sweetheart, we are. You are our kind of people. Anybody and everybody is welcome. And if you don't like that, don't call yourself a church. You must be some club or some, some uh, racist uh, elite, you know, if you don't live in this zip code and make this much money, that's, that church is for those people, and this church is for those people, or this is for white people and black people. It makes me so mad I want to spit. I mean, just a casual reading of the Bible would do away with racism and prejudice and discrimination, but it still goes on. It still goes on. I preached against it, and somebody sent me a death threat. We gave it to the police chief. We didn't press any charges. They didn't have the guts to do anything. And I thought, right in our neighborhood, somebody is a bigoted racist that wants to kill you for preaching what Jesus said is true. They probably have a crucifix and a cross on their neck, too. I'd like to put something on their neck myself, <laughs> but it wouldn't be a cross. Okay, that's just the dark side of me speaking right there. Sorry. Well, that was the plan. 
Jesus had for his new family, the church. And it wasn't just words. A few decades later, the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Rome, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a spiritual mother to me. Can you imagine on this Mother's Day, being the woman who became a spiritual mom to the Apostle Paul? She loved St. Paul like a real mother. Wow. See, anybody could come into this family. And by the way, you don't have to have any children to be a spiritual mom to people in this church or a spiritual father. You just do that fathering thing and mother them because there are many young people and young adults and people, that, women grown that didn't have a mom, didn't have a good influence. Now they're married with kids. They need a spiritual mom. Be one. This was a strange teaching, you can imagine. And again, you have to think about how it's going to sound to Mary. One time as Jesus was teaching, a woman in the crowd shouted out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. In other words, hey Jesus, to be your mom must be the greatest opportunity given to any woman on earth. And of course, everybody would expect Jesus to come back Yep, that's right. But instead, he replies, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He was saying, no, no, no. The greatest opportunity ever given to any human being, male or female, is to follow me and to become a child of God. It means letting go, and parents have to learn about this. You know, it seems like it was yesterday. Cindy and I were dropping our kids off at kindergarten. Now both our kids have finished college, one married with children, and suddenly we're done. And we talk about them like they're still our kids. You know, one of my daughters was little, and uh, her first words were dee-da, dee-da. Now she's 40, I still call her dee-da. I mean, as long as Chrissy and Alicia are alive, to me, they're my little girls. I guess they always will be. That's how we see them. But they're really never ours. Nothing is ever really ours. Everything lies in the hand of a great God who loves to give. You know, when we clutch to our children, our money, our lives, our demands, our sins, we close ourselves off from the family of the father of this wonderful, matchless Jesus. Then he invites us, let go, die a little. Every earthly good, your possessions, your home, your success, your job, your title, your car, even a family can become an idol when it takes the place of God. And Jesus teaches this wonderful and yet painful truth. So imagine Mary's thoughts and feelings when her son says, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. <laughs> Those are not words usually preached on Mother's Day. He said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You can't follow me if you're not willing to die to all that is not me. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you don't love your father or mother or son or daughter but your love for them has to take a back seat to all the selfishness and all the junk and sin that gets mixed up with it. So it can be reborn and resurrected into a God love that puts God first. Then you can be part of a new family. Jesus is telling Mary that now 
anybody can be part of his family if they will bend the knee to him as Savior and Lord, if they'll die to themselves and their rights first. But no one, not even Mary, will be able to enter the kingdom of God if they don't die first. Now, we don't know how Mary responded to this strange teaching while Jesus was alive. I wonder what went through her heart. Maybe remembering, who's my mother? Blessed brother are those who hear my word and do it. I wonder what went through Jesus' heart. Now, we know how the story ends, and we read about it on this Mother's Day. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. She was there at the manger. She's there at the cross. She was present at the beginning when this tiny little life entered into the world while God was up to something. She had all these hopes and all these dreams, and a strange old man, a priest named Simeon, said to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary alone walked all the way through Jesus' life, saw it all, was disappointed sometimes, confused, surprised, amazed, and delighted. And now she stands at the cross, and she knows the pain that only a parent who's lost a child can know. Jesus is on the cross, and in the midst of suffering, you and I can probably not even imagine, in the midst of a spiritual battle between sin and grace, darkness and light beyond our comprehension. And in the midst of that, Jesus looks down at his mom. And for a moment, it's not just the Savior of the world on that cross. It's a boy, a son, and his mom. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved, that's John the Beloved, who was standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. I die now, mom, but you won't be alone. I'm starting a new family, and you're going to be part of it. I'll take care of you. And to the disciple, that's John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Well, at the manger, Jesus became part of Mary's family, but at the cross, Mary becomes part of Jesus' family. What a journey. At the cross, Jesus died for the forgiveness, for the death and rebirth, for the sins of the world, even his own mom's, even for yours and mine. In Luke chapter 1, you'll read when she went to greet Elizabeth carrying baby Jesus. She rejoiced in her prayer and her poetic statement in the Lord her Savior. Even Mary had to have a Savior. So she now makes the journey into a brand new, one-of-a-kind, never-been-anything-like-it family, the family of God through Jesus Christ. We see her one more time after the resurrection of Jesus. And can you imagine what happens in Mary's heart at the resurrection? She finds out death itself couldn't kill her little boy. Why, she had no idea. After the resurrection, when this tiny little community of Jesus' followers would huddle together and they were waiting for God to send His Holy Spirit on them, it says they all joined constantly together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers who did not think Jesus was crazy anymore. They're all there. And this new family is started 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet 
Here we are. And Mary started with a title, a wonderful title, Mother of Jesus, Mother of God, because Jesus is God. A lot of people think that was the greatest title, but it wasn't. Mary went from being the mother of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus at the cross by grace. She made her son her Lord. And you can do that too. Like Mary, you and I have our own set of expectations and demands and demands that have to die so we can come alive to something better. And Jesus is going to help you with that. He's still inviting people to be part of his family. I hope you've done that. If you haven't, boy, right now would be a great time. I want to pray. I want to pray. Father, we pause now on this Mother's Day to thank you so much for the gift of moms and motherhood. We pray for each person, some for whom that word mom brings so much joy and gratitude and wonderful memories, and some for whom, for whatever reason, that word brings pain. We thank you that you are both the God of grace, the God of healing. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of Mary's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the journey Mary went on that was so central to both his life and ours. God, would you help every man, every woman watching online now in our journeys to become followers of this Jesus. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.